1: Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness, to professional development, to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies, so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us go through our lives hampered by painful memories, seated deep within our minds, They can seem impossible to dislodge, and they can trigger tremendous pain and prevent us from thriving in our lives. According to today's guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, the more conscious of these fears we are, the more we can break free from their hold. She offers simple steps to face our fearful memories, learn from them, and successfully break free. Dr. Manley is a practicing clinical psychologist who focuses on fear and fear-based disorders such as trauma, anxiety, and depression. Her personalized approach utilizes transformational fear in the self-growth and healing process. She is the author of Joy From Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. Welcome, Dr. Manley, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, Joan, it's a privilege, thank you.
1: So, Doctor, fear keeps many people stuck in life, but you say that we can learn to make fear a friend. Before we get into how we can turn this around, how do you believe fear holds us back in life?
0: That's really the basic of my, the foundation of my work, Joan. Essentially, we have fear that's a realistic fear, and fear that we are worried that if we're out hiking, a bear might bite us, right? Or, you know, attack us, something like that. That's a realistic fear. We have another side of fear that is irrational. And that is the part that I focus on in my work that we have these irrational fears that are very destructive and they keep us stuck in life. Often these fears emanate from childhood from parents or other role models who often don't intend to make us think unkind thoughts about ourselves, Mm -hmm. but often things get lodged in the psyche that tell us we're not smart enough, that we are not good enough, that we're not pretty enough or tall enough. And so they get stuck there and we go through life not realizing that that is fear at work. That's destructive fear.
1: So doctor, if these thoughts, if these fears are stuck in our subconscious programming, the the part of us that is autopilot, that we don't even realize where we act and behaving in a certain way, then how can we take that destructive fear and make it constructive? That's
0: the beautiful part, Joan. By becoming aware of another side of fear, what I came to term constructive fear, we can look at a fear, realize by talking to it, whether or not it's an A rational fear or an irrational fear and by having that discussion with the fear Mm -hmm. it becomes constructive in a way it gives us a positive message and then we can take it one step further and that step takes us into what I call transformational fear and that's where we actually begin to take action to change that part of our our life by having become more aware
1: so awareness then helps us to create a new pattern, create a new behavior. How long does it take for this type of change to take place? Such a good question, Joan. It is so
0: dependent on the individual, and it doesn't have to do with intelligence. Some people think that, oh, I'm very smart, I should be able to get this. No, it depends on the depth of your childhood trauma, right? Because a lot of people have a lot more trauma stuck in them than they realize. It also depends on how high functioning you are in the emotional realm, how emotionally intelligent and capable of introspection you are. And some people just haven't cultivated that attribute in life. So it as they learn to cultivate it and learn to become introspective, it becomes easier but at the and somebody can be incredibly intelligent, but not have the emotional awareness and the self-reflective capacity. That's key for this growth. And it is something no one needs to think, oh, I can't do this then. You know, I'm not very emotionally intelligent. You can become emotionally aware. You can become emotionally intelligent. And so once you do that, then it becomes natural. You just start becoming more self-aware, which is a really beautiful thing because the more self-aware you become, the happier you tend to be. And also you tend to get on with others better because you're not coming from a more egocentric place. You're actually really in touch with how your life and your interactions are affecting others.
1: So if deep-seated trauma could be at the root of all of this behavior, and we're not even aware of these traumas. What advice do you offer to help us become aware? What are some things we can do to get to the root cause? Such a good question. I tell people, take a
0: journey with me into your most significant childhood memories. And often people will say, oh, I don't remember my childhood. And that's okay. There's something called childhood amnesia. We often don't remember things before about age seven. But often people will recall something highly significant. And I give case study my book, Joy from Fear. And there is one case study in my book, and this is not an uncommon theme, by the way, where the man recalled his father distinctly telling him repeatedly, you will never amount to anything everything you touch will turn to crap. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard. And once this, man, this adult, began to realize that he was living his life with that script running in his head. So even though he was successful in the business realm, his personal realm had taught him that he was going to be a screw up. And he was just always waiting for something at work to go wrong and something in his personal life to go wrong. Again, coming from this, he had a really traumatic childhood, much more than he was able to appreciate when he came in to see me. And then he realized that here's his hero, his role model, his father, giving him constant messages about what a
1: defective person he was, which wasn't true. So these types of messages come from family members, they come from loved ones. As you were sharing that story, I was thinking about what our kids today are experiencing through social media and all of that 24-7 communication. When you're given those types of bullying statements or, or you know, I see on social media, people have, they don't have a filter anymore. They just say what they're thinking and they don't care who it hurts. When you have that type of trauma in your life on a daily basis, what is going to happen to our kids when they get older?
0: Can i read you a quote. The rate of major depression symptoms increased 52% in adolescents. From 8.7% in 2005 to 13.2% in 2017. And that's a really stunning statistic that really speaks to what you're talking about. Social media, I'm a fan of technology when we use it wisely. Mm
1: -hmm. I am
0: not a fan of technology when we let it infect our lives in a toxic way mindless way. And that's what ha- what is happening to our children. That's why those statistics are so stunning. Because when we look at how the brain develops, and the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until the 20s, until we are in our 20s, the brain's not fully myelinated, meaning the insulation until you're 25. So children's brains soak in what they hear, and they believe it unlike adults. Well, we sometimes do that too, right? Mm -hmm. But children are much more susceptible. And so what's happening is children are on social media and they're seeing a beautiful model or a wonderful sports star or a neighbor who seems to have it all together and whose pictures are airbrushed or this or that. And they think I'm defective because I don't look like that. I'm defective. My life is messed up because My family is not like that perfect family. And these messages, what I call the toxic disease of comparison, They make it into the psyche and they live there and they just make the child feel extremely anxious, often depressed. The other part that research is showing that technology is playing a huge part in disrupting children's sleep. Children are not getting sufficient sleep anymore and the statistics are alarming. And what is that coming from? Largely technology. Children's cell phones are in their bedrooms, their computers are in their bedrooms, they're being woken up by texts, they're up at three and four in the morning, you know, texting their friends, and they're not getting sufficient sleep. And again, research is showing us the importance of sleep and how it's now at epidemic proportions. And when we look at teenagers and sleep statistics on teenagers, we're in the not, a Over 90% of teenagers, ninth to 12th graders, are not getting sufficient sleep. So as we all know, when we're not getting good sleep, we're edgier, we're grouchier, we're more susceptible to, you know, emotional fluctuations. So I think all of this is a huge issue issue that needs to be addressed. As parents, what we can look at is what can we do? What can we do? Well, one of the things we can do is take control of technology. And so that's the important thing. And again, I don't want to get really too much into statistics, but there is some research out there showing that with both millennials and um, older adults, Almost 50 percent, when they were surveyed, believe that technology interferes with home interpersonal relationships.
1: Everything that you've said so far in this conversation, it is alarming because you could see the vicious cycle. Our children are getting involved with this, these external messages at a younger and younger age. So you could have children seven, eight, nine years of age getting this messaging and then It creates, as you said, that deep-seated trauma that then translates into this fear that they experience when they're older. So it is a very alarming situation. It is very alarming, Joan.
0: And the other piece I don't want to leave out, two pieces for listeners who want to understand more about how impressionable a child is. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I believed in Santa Claus. I believed in rainbows and leprechauns and fairies. Why is that the case? I believed my dad was a superhero and that my mom was too. Why is it that way? It's because of the way the brain is formed and how the prefrontal cortex, where we logic through things comes on board so much later in life. So if readers and listeners understand that, then they can say, oh, well, then that makes sense. So my child has that same type of impressionable sponge-like brain. And when he or she is seeing children cyberbullying, that is all making it through in a very unfiltered way. They are not capable of filtering it as an adult, they are not capable of looking at a movie star and saying, oh, well, you know, her life really isn't like that. You know, it's not all glamour. She doesn't really look like that. They aren't able to understand that. In fact, many adults don't realize that. So that's a really important piece to understand is what the child's brain is like. The other important piece is to understand that I don't know about you, but I grew up Even though I was in a very busy family, I grew up being connected to human beings, connected to my siblings, to my, you know, nature, my bicycle, playing and doing charades and that sort of thing for hours on end, really interacting with live human beings. And then now you look at children, what are they connecting with? They're connecting with a technology device. Mom is busy. Her back is to them. She's trying to do 3,000 things and tend to her own phone. You know, dad is coming home tired from work. Mom's tired from work. And the child is essentially interacting with a cell phone or a computer far more than with the eyes and loving attention of another human being. It's time
1: that we, we, we notice this. Doctor, when we experience these types of traumas that we've been talking about, a a natural protective method is to try to bury them or repress these emotions. Mm -hmm. When that happens, are we actually giving this trauma more power over us? Yes. Yes.
0: Easy answer.
1: So what do we do then? What do we do?
0: What we do is if you are, and and here's what I liken that to, because we've all had a splinter, right? Right. And when we bury a trauma, it is like taking a splinter that is festering, right? And it just wants to come out and come to the Mm -hmm. surface and have you take it out. But what about if we just keep pushing it back under and then put some Band-Aids over it? We're going to make a massive infection. We really will, because the body wants to get rid of that. It's the same with the psyche. So if we are aware, we become aware, something is not working right for me. I'm self-medicating, I'm self-soothing, I'm engaged in these toxic patterns. That's the, the psyche's call to you. Listen to me. So what do we do? We can reach out for a psychotherapist and begin to work on those issues in psychotherapy, We can, if we can't afford psychotherapy, we can try to find a spiritual or religious group that feels supportive. We can also do bibliotherapy. And so I encourage people, if something in your life is not feeling right, if fear is keeping you stuck and holding you back, address it. There are more people than you know suffering from the same or similar issues. Reach out, get help create energy where you can work with others on your issues and you will find healing by doing that you will only find pain by compartmentalizing or pressing it
1: the book is joy from fear create the life of your dreams by making fear your friend if you'd like to get more information about dr manley and her work you can visit drcarlamanley.com that's dr drcarlamanley.com doctor in our final moments very quickly Can you leave our listeners with an exercise that can help us to release a fearful memory?
0: Absolutely. I'll try and make it simple and quick. There are five steps. So first, observe and detach. Notice when an old fearful memory is coming up to plague you. Just notice it and observe it. Really key is that you not be judgmental. So you observe the memory as though you're watching a movie, and then you just Practice detaching from it, stepping back and watching it again like it's a movie. The next step, step two, and again, this one we really want to work without judgment. Notice any negative thoughts or beliefs that come up as this is happening. This is your personal narrative. So as you watch that movie going before you, you might be thinking, oh, you're incompetent. Oh, what a, you know, weakling you are. Or, oh, nobody loves you. Just notice the narrative. Again, notice it without judgment. Your third step, allow your feelings to arise. You're going to have feelings as you're watching this movie. Maybe sadness, maybe anger, maybe sorrow, regret. Just notice the feelings as you're watching that film. Notice if your body's feeling tense, flushed, you know, just notice the feelings. And then again, notice the feelings and allow them to move through you. And often we'll want to hold on to the feelings, especially if it's anger, just notice it and let it move through you. This is really powerful because now you're learning that you don't have to hold on to it, right? Fourth step, start to let go. As you begin to notice these memories and they'll come up one at a time and sometimes repetitively. Imagine that you have a dark balloon, one that you can't see through. Put the memory in the balloon, just stuff it in the balloon, put the negative thoughts, the negative beliefs in the balloon along with it, and then set the balloon free. Just watch it float far, far away from you. And as you do that, you'll notice that you feel lighter. And again, depending upon how toxic and deep that memory is, it may come back again and again. Here's the secret, you don't let it haunt you. You just release it. Whenever it comes up, release it, do that process. Fifth step, now you have a space in your own being, that has been vacated increasingly by this negativity. So now you have the chance to put something positive in its place. So I want you to envision a beautiful balloon, one that's clear, that you can see through, translucent, and lovely. I want you to learn to put in positive messages to create the truth in this balloon. Positive messages and positive images about how wonderful you really are. And you might see yourself putting in that balloon thoughts about how kind you are, how good you are, how amazing you are, how resilient, courageous, right? And then put all of that, along with comforting image, it might be an image of, you know, a religious icon or a flower, something that gives you joy, put that into that balloon. And then you get to hold on to that balloon, you get to tie it to a chair, you get to put it on your wrist, and imagine just carrying that with you because that is your truth and that is joy. And as you continue with that process, you will begin to feel clearer, more free,
1: and definitely more filled with joy. It just takes practice and you deserve that. Dr. Manley, thank you so much for sharing with us. So many of us are afraid of being afraid and your work, it it helps us to become mindful of our emotions so we can move past the fear. So thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to talk with you and to share and thank you for spreading
0: such good messages.
1: Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative